Good evening, beloved, and welcome to this evening's message. Uh, from the book of Revelation, we are back, and uh, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, wow, amazing to, to be able to dig into God's Word, to find the pearls, and to see what it means for us. There are a few things that we can see from the book of Revelation already, but remember that the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just a book of information. It's not just a book of information about the end of the world or a book of information about things that's going to happen in the future so that we can be informed about those things. That's all true. It's apocalyptic literature. It's a prophetic literature. It is um, ultimately a revelation of Jesus Christ so that we can learn more about Christ so that we can uh, how can I say look upon him and worship him and adore him more because we we realize that ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior is the one that is ultimately in control obviously he's the second person of the triune God and God is in control but in the book of Revelation it wants to tell us about the second person of the Trinity Obviously, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit is involved. Uh, but the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to the Apostle John to give to the different uh, messengers of the churches, the pastors of the churches or the elders of the churches, so that it could be shared with the members of the church, churches so that they could be edified, build up, and have an expectation of um, a future that is glorious because that future is with Christ. But at the same time, the book of Revelation tells us about all these things that's going to happen on this earth and the unsaved that will be judged already. They will receive a, a judgment from God already, even though that's not the final judgment, even though that's not the, the judgment of condemnation forever and ever. Yet it is a judgment in comparison to God's people. Where in Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, the uh, Lord Jesus said to the church that he will protect them. Now when this massive test comes over the earth, he will protect his own. And that's what we trust. We trust that Christ is the one who will tr protect us as his children, as his church. But there is going to be a judgment upon the peoples of the earth like it has never been before and never will be in all eternity. Uh, even on the Jewish nation who rejected Jesus Christ, there's going to be uh, a time like it's never been before. That's why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, this uh, tribulation period or the great tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's trouble because it's going to be a troubling time for Israel. But it how can I say, it's a once-off time in history and it will never be repeated again because it's going to be such a devastating period of time. A seven-year period broken up into two, three-and-a-half, um, how can I say, two, three-and-a-half-year periods. Uh, and the second period is, the, is called the Great Tribulation, where the first period is called the Tribulation. So the Great Tribulation is this, oh, this sad, sad, sad time when so much is going to happen on this planet. All right, so if we look at the book of Revelation, uh, when we look at chapter 8, we are going to look at the seventh seal, which is also 
um, or I can say introduces us to the seven angels with the seven trumpets. Okay, uh, before we continue, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you so much that we can come to you and, and to know that your word is truth. And when we read your word, if we study your word, we will be edified. May that also be true. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, Revelation chapter 8. When we look at Revelation chapter 8, we see the seventh seal judgment, basically. The seventh seal that is opened up, uh, which is also then the first trumpet judgment. There is this, let's call it this, this, these parallels between the trumpets and the veil judgments. Okay? It, it is actually very interesting because... Um, you will see, for example, the, the trumpet nah, judgment, chapter 8, verse 1 to 7. Uh, you, you will see that it, the judgment is upon the earth. And with the veils, it is chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. All right, the judgment is upon the earth. When you look at the trumpets, uh, chapter 8, verse 8 and 9, the judgment is basically upon the sea. And with the veils, in chapter 16, verse 3, it is on the sea. When you look at the trumpet uh, judgments in chapter 8, verse 10 and 11, we see that the judgment is upon the reverse. And with the veils, it is chapter 16, verse 4 to 7. Uh, and then the trumpets again in chapter 8, verse 12 to 13, we see that the judgment or the judgment is basically upon the heavens. And with the veils, it is in chapter 16, verse 8 to 9. Okay. With the trumpets, it is basically chapter 9, verse 13 to 21 is upon mankind. There is this torment of mankind. And with the veils, we find it in chapter 16, verse 10 to 11. And then also with the trumpets, we find it in, uh, you know, on the nations. The wrath that is poured out on the nations is found in chapter 11, verse 15 to 17. And with the veil judgments, it is basically chapter seventeen, uh, chapter sixteen, sorry, verse seventeen to twenty-one. So the trumpets and the bowls, we basically see the judgments are paralleled with the judgments that we find in the veil judgment of God. That's just for interest sake, and and we find this parallelism in the book of Revelation with regards to these judgments that is being poured that is poured out upon the earth. Uh, on, on whether it's the earth or the sea or rivers or heaven or on mankind or on nations. We see these parallels and, and it's amazing. Because remember, who's the author? God is the author. Okay, And because God is the author, it is so well done. Just a word of, of caution. When we work through the book of Revelation, uh, we can... So easily, just take the book of Revelation and just read it, you know, from chapter 1 right through to the end of chapter 22. And we can say to one another, well, you see, there's a chronology of all the chapters. So this is what is going to happen in the tribulation period. And we're going to see how these things unfold. And it's going to, you know, be systematic. And it's going to be orderly like it is in the book of Revelation. But in fact, that's not how the Hebrews looked at apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is basically, uh, you can say it's like a building that's built. You have a cornerstone, and then you have these 
building blocks and the one is built upon the other. And, and that's kind of what we see in the book of Revelation. We see these overlapping uh, themes and we see these overlapping judgments and we see overlapping things in the book of Revelation because that's the way that uh, the Hebrews would understand apocalyptic literature. So, uh, when we look at the trumpets, for example, and we look at the bowl judgments and we look at the veils, we can say to one another, there are parallels between them. So, the one happens at the same time as the other because they they cannot happen separately otherwise it, it can't happen all right so it's not as simple as saying oh yeah no okay the book of revelation chronological from beginning to end uh nope that's not how it works all right so what we can do is we can look at these parallels we can look at these 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 amazing uh, the amazing way that that the book of Revelation has been written or was written and and the vision that John received from Christ, and we can stand in awe of how God reveals the things that's going to happen at the end, up to the point where Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, uh, sits on the throne, you know, for a thousand years, and then. There's this new heaven and a new earth. There's no light needed because God will be the light. Christ will be the light. There will be righteousness and all those kind of things. And then we find this, this amazing final, now the finale of the ages with Christ Jesus um, being triumphant over all. Oh, absolutely amazing. It's so beautiful to, to see that. All right, now. Let's read Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So when Christ opened up the seventh seal, silence in heaven. And, and that, by the way, beloved, absolutely amazing. Silence in heaven for a half an hour. Now, as this seventh seal is opened up, now imagine or kind of picture this vision where John is, is looking at heaven. He has just seen the most amazing things. And now the next moment, there's silence in heaven. So what is the meaning of this silence? Well, it can mean that there is just this massive calm before the storm. So there's this, it's not a reset, but let's call it a, a getting ready for what is coming, because what is coming is devastating. So it can mean just the calm before the storm, but it can also mean that the silence in heaven uh, can mean that there is an increase in tension. No, there's a or an increased uh, expectation of what is coming. It's kind of when people know that something big is coming, and you can actually feel the tension that you you can't say a word. Everybody's just quiet. I, I remember when we were looking at the um, you know when the moon um, the eclipse um, or. It is just before it happens, 
and it's this major event everybody just becomes silent and they are looking and because they want to be part of this massive event that's going to take place so it's possible that the tension is increasing in heaven because something huge is going to happen or it is this increase in expectation of what is coming on the earth now the silence in heaven can also mean that what we're going to experience now it, it just gives more impact on the judgments that are coming the silence in heaven because something huge is coming so there's this how can I say this this getting ready for the impact of the judgments that are going to come on this earth in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 we read but the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him maybe that's what's happening in heaven you see the Lord is in his holy temple remember God on his throne the lamb who is the only one worthy to open up the seals you have the 24 elders, you have the living creatures, you have uh, the those who have been saved through all the ages from every tongue and na- tribe and nation and, and people group on the face of this planet. You've got this amazing scene in, in heaven. So Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20, we read, and this is the prophet speaking, he says, Let all the earth keep silence before him. Because why? God is in his holy temple. So, it is possible that this silence in heaven is because of this prophecy in Habakkuk. That there needs to be silence in heaven. Why? Out of respect for God. Out of expectation of what God is going to do now. Out of just a a, a humbling of the people. The humbling of everyone. The humbling of the earth. Humbling of everyone who are saved. Uh, how they... Uh, really humble themselves before the throne of God. Why? Because he is in his holy temple. And he's now going to judge the unrighteous. He's going to judge the unsaved. He's going to judge sinners. He's going to judge those who are on this earth who rejected the Savior. That's what God is going to do now. And what needs to happen is there needs to be silence. Okay, And all the earth needs to keep silent before him. Why? Because uh, he's God. Because he is almighty. Okay. Just absolutely amazing to think about the, this scene that we find in heaven. Um, the silence can obviously also mean that heaven comes to a standstill because God is going to Listen to the prayers of the saints. That's also possible. It's kind of keep quiet because what is going to happen now is there is going to be um, something amazing. And in this case, God is going to listen to the prayers of his saints. Now that's, that's basically um, Psalm 141, verse 1 and 2. It says, O Lord, I call to you. Come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayers be set before you like incense. May the living, uh, the lifting up of my hands 
Be like the evening sacrifice. Oh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> oh Lord, I call to you. The psalmist says, I call to you. That's prayer, isn't it? And then he says, come quickly to me. Why? Because he needs God to intercede. He needs God to be the one who answers his prayer. He is in desperate need of God. And then he says, hear my voice when I call on you, O Lord. And then may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the prayer of the psalmist be a beautiful fragrance before God. Yoh. And, and that's his prayer. That's the psalmist's prayer. Now, John has been basically setting the stage for, for this scene for a while now. In, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, we read that the golden bowls that are full of incense uh, are basically the prayers of the saints. Eh? In chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, I mean, we are allowed to basically eavesdrop on the prayers of the saints. Eh? Where they say, How long, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Okay, and then obviously in verse 11, God responds um, that they must just wait a little bit longer. So the scene has already been set, the stage has been set, sorry, um, for this amazing uh, scene that we are finding now with regards to prayer. So we, we should be. Uh, very well aware of it. You see, th there's a very important practical implication for us as believers with regards to the kind of prayers which is uh, like incense. Nah. You see, the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven. It's the other way around. The purpose of prayer is to get God's will done on the earth. Not my will, but thy will be done. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. When we pray, that's what we pray. We want to basically see God's will be done on earth. We want to work with God in, how can I say, accomplishing what God wants to accomplish on this earth. It doesn't mean that it's our prayers that does it. It doesn't mean our prayers are the initiators of things. It doesn't mean our prayers are stronger than God. No, no, no. No. When we pray, we participate in God's will being done on this earth as His will is being done in heaven. You see, it's so beautifully seen in, in the book of Revelation, especially here in chapter 8. It is so, so beautiful. Where we work with God. God wants to do certain things. And we as believers pray that those things may be done on this earth. Because we know that it is uh, supposed to happen. And God reacts on our prayers. God listens to our prayers. And then what he does is he actually acts upon, that, upon our prayers. And it's not because he needs our prayers. It's the way that God decided that he wants to uh, allow us to participate in his will being established on this earth. Isn't that amazing? And, and you and I, we have that, uh, that privilege. That's, that's our privilege. It's, it's just amazing. 
Remember Revelation 16? How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. That's the martyr speaking. And, and they are literally praying within the, the will of God. Obviously, they're crying out, How long, O sovereign Lord? Almighty God, how long you are holy and you are true? How long is it going to be until you judge the inhabitants of the earth, the unsaved? How long until you avenge our blood? Well, that's exactly what God is going to do. Okay, so uh, the saints don't even, the, the martyrs don't even have to pray that because it is going to happen because it is what God decided that will happen to the inhabitants of the earth if they kill his people. If they do anything to his people, God will avenge their blood, uh, their blood, basically. It's already been decided. But here we have the prayers of the, the, the saints, the prayers of the martyrs, as they pray in accordance to God's will. And that will move God to, to do something, not because they pray, but because it's within his will. And he wants them to pray in accordance to his will, so that they can participate in his will being done on this earth, their faith is built up. Their faith becomes stronger. They trust God more and more. Uh, and at the end of the day, God does what he does. You see. Beloved, now we need to understand, just like the prayers of the martyrs, your prayers and my prayers reaches God's throne. Remember that. When we pray, it is not as if our prayers just fall on deaf ears. No, absolutely not. Our prayers, it breaches the throne of the Almighty God. And, and our prayers to God now is used by Him. Let's call it as a, as a type of judgment, when, especially when we pray in, in, in line with the judgment of God. You see... The world basically kills God's people. And then many times, we can really maybe say most of the time, before God's people are killed, they pray. Okay, And that prayer, I'm talking about the martyrs now. Eh? The prayer of that righteous saint, that martyr, will be used by God as the means of judging the earth. Revelation 8 verse 5 says, then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were pearls of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. See how God basically uses, this is figurative speech, this is a vision, but it is God that uses the censer and the censer has the prayers of the saints, and he takes it, fills it with fire from the altar, and then throws it on the earth as a means of judgment. Doesn't mean that God hasn't listened to the prayers. It's not as if the, the prayers of, of, God, uh, the, of the saints now all of a sudden becomes the judgment. No, God is the judge. God is the one who judges. But it's as if God takes the prayers of the saints and he, he, he casts it on the earth so that the dwellers of the earth, the, the sinners on the earth, those who rejected um, Christ and rejected God and rejected salvation, that they can realize, but 
whoa, these people were praying and their prayers have all been answered. Beloved, that's a, that's a serious, serious, serious thing. But that's the way it works. It's just absolutely amazing. I, I love it because at the end of the day, God is the one who uses our prayers to fulfill His purposes and His, his plans. And, and it's interesting. I've said this before. I just want to kind of re-emphasize this. Uh, it is said that when God, let's say not, not when God, when a saint, when, when a, a Christian, when a believer is persecuted, martyred for their faith, the fact, just the, the fact that God allows them to be martyred, to either lose their life or be persecuted and, and really, really be hurt, just the fact that God allows it is already an act of God's judgment. Which means that God has already judged the unsaved and He has withdrawn His restraining grace to such a point that that sinner, that unsaved person, whether it be governments or whether it be other religions or whether it be individuals or groups that that hates God or it could be atheists or whatever, just the fact that they persecute God's people and the fact that God allows them to persecute God's people, that act that they perform is already judgment upon them. And, and that's scary. That's really scary. So when we look at the world and we look at all the Christians that are being martyred worldwide in different countries, I mean, there are, are countries where you're not even allowed to, to, to name the name of Jesus Christ. You're not even allowed to speak or to say that name. You're not allowed to preach the gospel. I mean, that's even worse. You're not allowed to talk to other people about their sin and that their salvation in, in, in Jesus Christ alone, and that there needs to be faith in Christ. There are people, groups all over the world that are hostile towards Christians. And the fact that they are hostile towards Christians and the fact that they persecute God's people, the fact that they uh, not just persecute God's people, but also kill God's people, yeah, martyr them, uh, the fact that they go against God's people, all these things that they do against God's people is already proof that God has judged those nations. His restraining grace to prevent them from coming under God's judgment, this, this judgment because, uh, the fa uh, because they are persecuting God's people, God's restraining grace has been removed from them. And that is part of God's judgment. Beloved, what's happening on this earth today? Let me just say that for a moment. What is happening on this earth where Christians are being persecuted, even in the Western countries nowadays, uh, you know, through the fact that they speak the truth in love and they tell people that marriage is between one man and one woman for life, that there's no such thing as multiple genders, there's only two genders, male and female, you know, all those kind of things. And, and then they get persecuted because of that and for that. They lose their jobs and they, they can't uh, do certain things and all those kind of things. Those things are all part of God's judgment upon the nations, the Western nations, because they are persecuting God's people. 
So it's already judgment. So when we look at a Western country, for example, where Christians are losing their jobs or Christians are being looked at in a, in a how can I say, in a way that those who are unsaved just want to destroy them and uh, they are called names and you know they can't participate in the economy of a country, all those kind of things. And when the countries and governments and people groups, when they clamp down on Christianity, reject God, don't want God in, in the schools, don't want um, people to pray to God, reject God, but embrace all the worldly things. And, and just rejects God's people more and more and more until they get to the point where they actually persecute God's people, throw them in jail and do all kinds of things. That's judgment. Now, we don't look at it like that. So when you, at some other stage, or me, when we are persecuted, let's say here in our own country, when we are persecuted for our faith, it means that God has withdrawn His restraining grace, and his judgment has now come upon the people who basically persecute us. And that's sad. And now what happens is the saints, those who are being persecuted, those who are being martyred, when they pray to God, they, they pray in accordance to God's will. For example, Lord, when are you going to avenge the blood, uh, our blood upon the people of the earth? How long, O oh Lord, must we wait until we see your righteousness being established? You know, all those kind of prayers. Those prayers are basically caught in a censer. And in chapter 8 of Revelations, we read that the angel takes that bowl, uh, the prayers of the saints, that is being persecuted. So the judgment is already there. And then what happens is that censor is then taken and it is poured out on the earth. And those prayers of the saints becomes the, the torment, the judgment, the, the pain and the suffering of those sinners because they are under God's judgment. So God uses the prayers of the saints not only to, how can I say, as an as a amazing fragrance to him because it is we read that in verses that comes but not only is it this this beautiful fragrance in that god um, smells but the prayers of the saints becomes the the judgment on the earth of those who dared to martyr god's people love i hope that makes sense um it, it is so amazing to understand how God works. And God is so different to, to the world, isn't he? This is not human wisdom. This is not how we would think about, uh, you know, performing judgment or doing things, but this is the way God does it. So don't forget to pray. Don't forget to bring your petitions before the Lord in prayer. Even if you are going through a tough time and, uh, people don't want to listen to you or people uh, call you names or all kinds of things because you're a Christian. And when you speak the truth in love and when you share the gospel, they don't want to listen to you and they mock you and they call, call you names and they swear at you and whatever. When you hear those things, beloved, don't stop praying. Pray because in the first place, 
those people do it because they're under God's judgment. And your prayers will go into the censer in heaven and God will pour it out onto this earth or the angel will pour it out onto the earth as a, a judgment in the sense of it will bring destruction to the people of this earth. Beloved, it's, it's serious stuff. Nobody can play around with God's people and get away with it. Nobody can persecute God's people and get away with it. Nobody can kill God's people and get away with it. Nobody can take the jobs of God's people and get away with it. They cannot get away with it because at the end of the day, they will come, they, well, they're already under God's judgment because they are persecuting God's people, but they will receive the just punishment for what they have done to God's people. And as God said, and as we read in the book of Revelation, when the martyrs prayed this prayer, how long, O Lord, uh, he, they were told just to wait a little while until all the martyrs have come in and God has, how can I say, judged those who have martyred his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come to you. And it, it, it is in amazement that we come to you, knowing that you are the Almighty God. Your wisdom is not our wisdom. Your way of working is not the way that we work. And Father, as the way that you worked out the future is just beyond our understanding. But at the same time, Father, we know you know what you are doing. So we pray, even though we are not experiencing persecution as in other countries where people die for their faith. Father, we pray, please have mercy on those who persecute your people. Please, may they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and become a saint and one of our brothers and sisters. But Father, thank you so much that in your wisdom that you will not leave those who persecute your people, you will not leave them unpunished. And, and uh, thank you that you, you punish them in such an amazing way, that your wisdom is so far beyond our understanding. So we pray, Father, thank you. Thank you that we can trust you. And thank you that we can accept what you said to um, the martyrs around the throne, said, wait a little bit until all the other martyrs have come in. Teach us patience, we pray, and uh, enable us to take the punishment to take persecution if it comes our way so that you may be glorified in and through our lives. And Father, receive our prayers as uh, a means of our worship to you, the living Almighty God, even if we cry out, please, Lord, avenge our blood upon the people of the earth. It is still a cry to you because we trust you. We love you. We know that you are the Almighty God. Go with us during this week and may your name be glorified. And may you be exalted, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, thank you very much for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you His peace. God willing, until next time, when we continue with the book of Revelation and uh, look at what we can learn and uh, what we can get and take out of this amazing book. God willing, until next time, thanks for listening. God bless. Bye-bye.